Amen. Thank you, Robbie. Excellent song. And praise the Lord that we can say we've been changed. We've been changed. Go ahead and open in your Bibles. We're going to be starting in uh, Psalms 122. Psalms 122. And we're going to spend the majority of the time tonight in the book of Psalms, although we'll be uh, bouncing around a little bit. Uh, we'll be starting in Psalms 122 and moving around a little bit from there. So do have your Bibles handy and ready, or at least just pay close attention while I read. You know, over the past uh, year, there have been some things that have happened, and it seems to have had an impact, and we're moving into 2021, and we're moving past a lot of what's happened. But as I've been interacting with people, whether it be uh, at the job site or just people I see in my Facebook feed or my Instagram feed, there seems to be kind of this air of lack of what there used to be. You know, when I look at people now, what I see is a lot of stress and concern, whether it be over COVID, whether it be over the vaccination, whether it be over the presidential election. There's a lot of things that have Americans concerned. There seems to be a lot of stress. There seems to be a lot of worry. But what I don't really see is a lot of happiness, a lot of happiness. If you used to ask someone their opinion of 2020 or even the beginning of 2021, I would say for a majority, the word, uh, it makes me happy, it's not going to come out. And when I look at the way that it's impacted Christians, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, I feel that the impact upon Christians has resembled that upon the world. We're all just sad, sad people, drained of happiness. And tonight, I want to ask you a question. And although I don't want you to answer it out loud, take just a moment. I'm going to give you a moment and answer it in your mind. Okay, so think with me right now. What makes you happy? Okay, don't answer it, but think of it. All right, surely you've got something. I know for me and Greg, coffee came to mind right off the top of the bat there. Uh, coffee makes you happy. For every one of us, maybe it was a place, a time, or a thing that makes you happy. But unfortunately, if I relied solely upon coffee for my happiness, there would be a few days out of the year, and I mean a few, maybe a couple, where I'd be an unhappy person. Probably one, honestly. I can pretty much acquire coffee anywhere. But um, there'd be like maybe one. Tonight, I want to take from Psalms, and I, and I love looking into the book of Psalms. I feel like there's such transparency in the book of Psalms, and although they're so poetic, in a lot of ways, they apply directly to the Christian lives, and not in a lot of ways, in every way they do. And as we look at the Psalms tonight, I want to show you six reasons that you can be happy tonight. And these reasons are true today, tomorrow, and no matter if it's a good day or a bad day, six reasons that you can come back to and be happy. And I just want it to be an encouragement to you tonight and a blessing to you tonight. Not really going to be anything new, but I just want to remind you of some things and give you six reasons that you, as a Christian, can smile right now and tomorrow and on any day. Just six reasons. So let's pray, and we're going to dive into what I believe God has for us here tonight. And God, uh, we come to you tonight, and we do ask that you bless in the service, God, both for those of us here physically and for those of us meeting online. And God, we want to thank you just for the opportunity to gather as a local church around your word and around the truth, and we ask that you would allow it to impact our lives and to change us. And God, tonight, as we come to this study, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to remember that there are reasons. God, that because we are a Christian, we can be happy. Even if the world has no hope or has no happiness, we can be happy. And as we dive into the Bible study tonight, I pray that you would give me the right words to say, to demonstrate your truth, God, and allow the people to follow with me as we study through the Scriptures to see what you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Psalms 122, as we dive in tonight, if you don't have it there in your Bible, go ahead and turn there, because this is where we're going to start at, and then we'll move on to a few different places throughout the service. Psalms 22, verse 
122, verse number 1 says, I was glad, I was glad, glad is a synonym with happy there, so I was happy when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The first thing I want to show you is we should be happy because of the place of God. We should be happy because of the place of God, and especially coming into the new year, for those of us here, I know that we are extremely happy about being able to come back to church. And COVID really did a lot to impact our ability to attend church physically. And for many of us, we are happy when we come into the place of God. And there's that happiness there. David saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of God, actually physically. Now, to kind of illustrate this to you, if Jason's watching, then he's going to know this truth. So Jason, if you're watching, pay attention. If you're not, shame on you. Um, but I'll just go ahead and call you out. Um, but no, so we got this job and it's like, an hour and 15 minutes away. There's nothing really wrong with the job. It's a fine job, and we're rebuilding this home and uh, kind of like doing an addition to it or a remodel, and it's up in Orkney Springs, Virginia. And the, the build has been fine. If it was just a normal house like here, that would be fine, but it's like an hour and 15 minutes away. So what that means is I'm leaving my house at 5.30 to start work at 7, and I'm leaving there at 5.30 to get home at 7. So it's dark when I leave, and it's dark when I get home. I'm tired when I leave, and I'm really tired when I get home. And that's kind of what Orkney Springs looks like. And Jason knows. He'll tell you, uh, I, I hate Orkney Springs. Um, that's what we call the project there, and I hate it. We've got to do some really cool stuff, and throughout that process, we started that job. Uh, when I first started with Jason, just laying some hardwood floors, and now we're doing trim and everything up there. Man, I despise Orkney Springs. Now, I'm grateful for the work, and I'm grateful to be up there. I'm grateful for what I've learned. In. And honestly, I don't ultimately hate Orkney Springs uh, because I still go up there to work quite a bit. Um, but it's not my favorite place. And Jason knows that. But Jason comes to me, and he says, okay, next week we're working in Orkney Springs. I'm going to be like, oh, you kidding me again? Okay, whatever. See you there in the morning, 7 o'clock. I'll be tired. Please have donuts. And so forth and so on. And so that's kind of the reaction to Orkney Springs. But Dakota works with us. Dakota, you should also be watching tonight. Dakota works with us. And he, said, he started this saying, it'll just be random in the day. Something can be going good or bad. Something can be having a good day or a bad day. It can be 10 a.m. or it can be 5.15. He'll just say, stop and like look at me and be like, man, I'm ready for the house. Now, he's not talking about Orkney Springs. He's not talking about anywhere. He's talking about home. I'm ready for home. And it doesn't matter the temperature, the weather, uh, if I had lunch or skipped lunch, how good of a day I'm having, how much I'm getting done. If Dakota says, I'm ready for the house, immediately I'm happy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm ready for the house now, okay? Orkney Springs, I'm like, okay, I'll go there to own my paycheck. When they say, I'm ready for the house, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for the house. Let's get in the truck, leave the tools out. I don't care, we're going home. And that's kind of the idea that David gives here when it comes to Psalms 122.1. He says, I was glad. Not the Orkney Springs kind of glad like I have to go there because I'm a Christian. But I was glad as in I'm ready for the house. Let's go ahead and go to the house. And for a lot of Christians, I feel that we're kind of losing that desire to be at the house of God. Sure, we'll go and you can bank on me to be there. But are you glad? Are you finding a source of happiness in being in the house of God or in the place of God? I want to give you two reasons you should be excited to come to the house of God. I'm going to give them to you briefly because then we've got five more reasons to be happy that we need to get to. Two reasons that you should be excited about coming to the house of God is because the presence of God is there. The presence of God is there. Matthew 18, verse number 20, it says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And now, friends, let me tell you what. When we as a local church gather at the local church, God is in the midst of us. And I really don't know how else to say this and, and make it more profound other than if missing out, on the presence of God 
is not a problem for you, then something is wrong. Okay? You should want to be in the presence of God. When God says, if two or three of you gather in my name, I'm going to be there in the midst of you, and you're okay with taking a skip on that, then you need to check on your relationship with God. Just knowing that when we take the time to come to the house of God, to meet in the house of God, that he's going to come to this church to meet with us, the creator, the one who designed us, and, and really doesn't need to talk with us. He's going to come here and you're okay with missing out on that, then, then I would question your relationship with God. Not only is the presence of God here, but exhortation is here. Hebrews 10.25, and this is by far the favorite verse for trying to encourage people to come to church. It says, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together. I'm sure you've heard that many times. As the manner of some is, don't be like those people. Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. Why? But exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Why should you be happy? Well, because God is here and because the exhortation of the brethren. God gave to the church the spiritual gifts for the edification of the church. And, and to be quite frank, when you choose to not be actively involved physically at the place of God, then you are robbing all the other brethren of the gift that God gave to you. You should be excited to come to the house of God because God himself is here. And the brethren are here to exhort you. And, and, you know, I just want to be real with you guys, and I want to be careful how I handle this. But I'm afraid that for many, online church has become more of a convenience than a crutch. It was designed to get us through a time when COVID limited us from being able to meet. And I'm not saying for some of you there are actual physical concerns, and I completely understand. And for many of you there are health concerns, and you, and you need to take that in consideration. That's why we're still off on it. But for some... It's just more convenient. And my friend, David says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of God. I know it takes effort, but there are reasons, and we should find happiness in being at the house of God. And if that's you, you're not really a high-risk person, and you're really, you're really not concerned about COVID. You're still going shopping. You're still going out to the store. You're still doing everything except for church. Then I would ask you, is online church a convenience, or is it a crutch that's just getting you through until you're able to be back in the house of God. And again, we do understand for those of you with concerns, but just allow the Holy Spirit to speak with you on that and see where you're at. Be happy because of the place of God and what goes on there. Number two, be happy because of the precepts of God. Because of the precepts of God. Psalms 119, 111. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever. For they are the rejoicing of my hope. Happiness, strongly linked to that end statement there. Psalms 119, 162, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Look at that verse again, 119, 162, Psalms. I rejoice at thy word, okay? So we get it, he's happy. But then I love the way that David always writes, and he loves to add in these pictures so he can set degrees. And he says, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. David's saying here, the word of God makes me so happy that I, it's an equal happiness to, for maybe in a modern term, you won the lottery off of a free ticket you didn't pay for. Okay, The way you would rejoice when you win this ticket, somebody hands it to you, you scratch it, and you win the lottery, and you have all this money now. David says, I rejoice that much over the word of God. Happiness linked to the word of God. Why would we be happy about the word of God? One is, it's always true. Don't turn to these passages. I'm going to read them to you quickly, but don't turn to them because that will take too long. 
The word of God is always true. Psalms 119, 151. Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Psalms 119, 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. 2 Samuel 7, 28. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Man, let me tell you what, when it comes to the day we're living in now, truth is hard to find. It used to be that you could fact check things, but now you need to somehow fact check your fact check, and that probably needs check too, and, and it's really hard to find truth. Why would you rejoice in the Word of God? Because it, it, it's true. And it's not just true for me, and it's not just true for, for you, but it's true for everyone. It doesn't matter who it is. When they read the Word of God or they have the Word of God read to them and they understand what the Word of God is saying, it is guaranteed 100% of the time to be true. Every commandment is true. Every promise is true. Every word is true. It's true. But I also want to show you that it's always applicable. Because truth that doesn't apply to me doesn't really matter. If the Word of God was guaranteed to be true, 100% of the time, always true, but it was also a book only about diagramming falls. doesn't matter that's true to me. That benefits me none. But the Word of God is applicable to every Christian. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is quick or alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and the dishonor of the thoughts, and is a dishonor of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. When it comes to the Word of God, you've got to understand it's still applicable because the Word of God is life. It says it's quick and powerful. The Word of God is quick and powerful. It's life. But then, look, if you see the, the, the end of Hebrews 4.12, and is a dishonor of the thoughts and intent of the heart. What is the Word of God is? The thoughts that I'm having right now, the thoughts that Dave's having right now, the thoughts of the people we don't know, the Lord of God is a dishonor, the thoughts and the intent of the whole. It's alive and, and it applies to each and every one of us. If you look in 2 Timothy 3, verse number 16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Tonight we can rejoice and be happy in the place of God. God has blessed America, and we have the right to meet in an actual physical place of God. We can rejoice in the precepts of God. God's word is always true, and his promises apply to me, and they, uh, they apply to you. His commandments tell me how to live, and they tell you how to live. And no matter the lack of truth we may see in the world, we can always come back to the word of God and guaranteed find some truth in the word of God. And we should be happy because... We have a place to worship, and we have the precepts of God. But I also want you to know we should rejoice in the presence of God. In the presence of God. Psalm 16, verse number 11. Psalm 16, verse number 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Man, when's the last time that you stopped and thought about the fact that you had the right to be in the presence of God? 
I can think of people that live here in the state of Virginia that I don't have the right to be in their presence. I can think of people that are above me and have security above me, and, and I would never be allowed to meet them, and they're just here in the state of Virginia. And I've met some pretty powerful people in my life and had the opportunity to do that, but there's still some I would never meet. And, and chances are, unless it's a really weird happenstance and I just happen to walk into the right restaurant, someone like Donald Trump or President of the United States or, or a big business person, I'm not going to meet them. But God himself offers me his presence anytime I want it. Anytime. I would like to think that given that right, that, that the presence of God is so readily available that as Christians, ultimately we would spend a ton of time in the presence of God and, and be happy about it. But unfortunately, what I think happens is we go day to day to day spending minimal time in the presence of God and not rejoicing in it. It's more of a chore than it is anything. And it would do us good to step back and remember, this is God. He, the only reason I exist is because he wanted to fellowship with me. And, and when I messed that up, he died to give me that right again. And once I accept the gift of salvation, I have the right to be in God's presence. And are we toning it down? Or are we finding happiness in the presence of God? The psalmist says, in thy presence, is fullness of joy. I ask you, what all in your life are you doing to find joy? What different things are you pursuing? More money, more time, more possessions. When the Bible says right here, in thy presence is fullness of joy. That is where the Christian finds joy. That is where humans find joy. The reason so often the lost go about hopeless and depressed is because they don't have the ability to go into the presence of God and to commune with the Creator and to fulfill the purpose for which they were created. But to us Christians, there's fullness of joy in the presence of God. And I ask you, are you taking advantage of that? Be happy because of the place of God. Be happy because of the precepts of God. Be happy because of the presence of God. But on this one, wow, we can all rejoice tonight. Be happy because the product of God, the product of God. Psalms 126.3, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. What has he done for us? First off, he saved us. He saved us. God's done great things for us. We are happy in the product of God. What is the product of God? Ultimately, salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, many of you could quote it with me tonight, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oftentimes, because we grow up hearing so much about salvation and the gospel, and many of you, whether you say you can or not, could give a phenomenal gospel presentation. Whether you could quote the verses or not, you understand it really very well. You've been in church, and you've been raised in church, and you understand the elements of the gospel. Jesus Christ came and died, and, and he died on the cross for us. And because he died, he offers us salvation. If you pray and believe in him, you can be saved. And for many of you, you could do a much better job in that brief example telling the gospel. And oftentimes with familiarity breeds contempt and we forget to stop and think about the fact that God himself created us and then died for the creation. 
Has it occurred to you lately that he could have just made a new one again? But instead of doing that, he decided to die for the creation. And yet we go through our day and have a bad day and act like there's nothing in the universe to smile about and there's nothing in the universe going right for us and, and there's nothing going good. And friends, let me tell you what, the worst thing that can happen in this world is that you would die. And honestly, as Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain because the worst that can happen here is to start an eternity with Christ. And no matter where you're at in life, whether you're depressed, whether you're financially in a hard spot or whether you're going through a really hard time, if you're a Christian, then you can come back to the fact that God died for you. And he saved you. But more than that, he sanctified us. Praise God that he didn't just save us and say, good luck, and I'll see you on the other side. But instead, he sanctified us. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you. If you know anything about the book of Corinthians, writing really to a, a, a church born out of a group of terrible sinners here, and he says, But ye are washed but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, that we could say that too. But we are washed, we are sanctified, and we are justified because of what Christ has done. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Man, praise God that he didn't say, okay, you're saved and you figure it out. But instead, God came to us and he says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to take you from dead to alive. But then through the work of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the Word of God, I'm going to teach you how to live. Really, a way to illustrate this would be for a small kid. Let's picture someone smaller than even myself, okay? I'm by no means uh, an extreme athlete, but let's picture someone smaller than myself. Um, really not fit to be an athlete at all. Um, quite, quite small and doing very poorly in the gym. Um, and let's not, not adequate for any, any team and there's a coach who's been coaching uh, state football teams for, for several years, and he's very successful. He's got more rings than he can count. And, in fact, he's moved from district to district throughout schools, and uh, he's kind of earned the title of being able to pull a bad football team out and make a good team out of it. And he's been coaching for several years, and he getting close to retirement, and he moves into this school district, and he kind of wants to just grab a few more football rings before he ends up. He's really close to accumulating his longtime goal of, let's say, 25 state champion rings, and, and he's just trying to wrap things up. And just so happens that he comes to the school where this kid who really is not suited to perform in athletic sports is at, and, and he's never really had a shot at sports. And so the coach, out of the, the you know, love of his heart, meets this kid, and the kid's just sitting on the sidelines every day, and he's watching the football practice. And the team practices and really they're doing very well. There's no much need for practice. There's so many athletes here, they don't even need this quality of a coach to be able to win the state championship. And, and this kid's just sitting there day in and day out, and he's watching. And it really doesn't matter that he's watching because he just frankly doesn't have what it takes to be on the team. And the reality is that for him to think that he deserves to be on this football team with this coach, with that many athletes, is really just kind of absurd. And one day the coach comes up to him and he says, I know you don't deserve it, but I've seen you here at practice. And if you would like, I'll offer you a spot on my football team. We're doing very well. And, and from what I can see, we will win the state championship this year. And I would like to offer to you a spot on the team. You know, of course, a kid in that situation is going to be extremely excited. He gets not only to be on a team, but on a team probable to win the state championship. And so immediately he's like, yes. And he grabs his jersey, although oversized and can barely wear the pads and the cleats. And, and he, he goes out to the team. Now, at this point, 
He is useless. To the team, although he may wear the jersey, he's pointless to have. And so the coach says, you know what, I don't just want to put you on the team, but he begins to personally train with him in the gym every day, and he teaches him every day, okay, this is how you lift. You've got to build strength. You've got to build endurance if you want to play football. And, and throughout the season, he begins to teach him plays, and he begins to teach him work in the gym and ethics and diligence. And it comes to the final night of the, of the high school football game, and it's deep into the playoffs, and they're really playing for the win. And all of a sudden, the coach says, hey, you, it's your time. And for some of the athletes, they're going, what? him, and he goes in and he gets a chance to play on the team that wins the state championship. You say, long story, what's the point? We are that kid. you got to understand that we are undeserving of anything. If it was up to us, then we would be the guy on the sideline watching the football practice, undeserving, not worthy, not capable. But God, illustrated as the coach, comes to us and says, I want to give you a spot on the team, and and he brings us in and, and was saved. And then through the work of the Holy Spirit, he teaches us. And God himself teaches us how to live the Christian life and sanctifies us day by day by day until eventually when we go to heaven, we're completely sanctified. And friend, that should bring joy into your heart. If there's nothing else that's making you happy, and if you're having a real bad day, it would do you good to stop and to step back and recognize that God himself took that which is dead and gave you life. And he still believes in you enough that even though you're messing up time and time again, you're making mistakes time and time again, you're not really perfectly suited without him for anything. And he's teaching you and sanctifying you for the work of God. Be happy because of the product of God. Number five, be happy in the praise of God. In the praise of God, Psalms 147, 1. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is comely. Man, if you read through Psalms, you're going to realize two things real fast. I promise you this. Now, I love the book of Psalms. I've read it through several times, and this is what you're going to realize. One, David got depressed very often, Okay. He wrote some great depressive poetry, and he was depressed very often. But David praised the Lord more than anyone. I cannot tell you how many examples there are in Psalms of David writing about everything that is going on in his life, and if you really put yourself in David's shoes, you're like, holy cow, this guy's got it really bad. Compared to where I'm at, he's got it really, really bad, like living in a cave after God said he would be the king about to die. And then he writes, out of that, but I praise the Lord. Let me, let me just remind you that we are commanded on average 250 times in Scripture to praise God. Some variation of praise the Lord. And, and a lot of times we're like, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And then we don't do it. We don't do it. When's the last time you praise the Lord? And now I'm not talking about you say praise the Lord. Okay. That, that phrase is not, it's not a command and an end all in the same. It's not that you necessarily just say praise the Lord, but to sit back and say, God, Thank you. Thank you for being a father. Thank you for, for loving me. Thank you for your help here. Thank you for your wisdom there. And praise God. I can promise you one thing. If you're having a bad day and you've got a couple minutes, which most of the time on a bad day you can find a couple minutes, just find a couple minutes, go to yourself, sit down. And for everything you can think of, start praising God. And see how long it takes you until you start to feel a little bit better. 
find a little bit of that happiness. It is really hard to be having a bad day and be like, okay, well, Aiden said praise to God, so praise God. Thank you, God, for being such a great father. Thank you for your wish. Thank you. About the third time, you're going to realize how ridiculous it sounds to sit there and thank God Almighty for everything he's done for you and still be sad, still be lacking that happiness. Man, when you think about it, there, there is so many lists in here tonight for each and every one of us of ways that we could praise God individually. If I was to stop preaching now and just open it up and people would go round and round in circles thinking of something they could praise God for, we would be here far past the time that we have left. And so often, not only do we ignore 250 commands in the Bible to praise God, but we live our life sad and acting like as Christians we're in the same place the world is with no hope and no happiness and no direction in life. And God says, I commanded you 250 times to do the solution and you still can't praise me. You still can't praise me. So often we forget about the fact that as Christians we do have a hope and we do have a heavenly father who loves us. And friend, it does you good to remind yourself of everything that you have in life by praising God for it. And it would do us good to spend a little more time praising God. And not only that, but number six, find happiness in the promotion of God. In the promotion of God. Psalms 100, verse number two. Many of you know this verse and could quote it. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Serve the Lord with gladness. As I look around, I see a few of you that have been on missions trips with us, many of you that have served in VBS, and, and a lot of you, or the majority of you, that have been involved in some church function or some church event. And without a doubt, I would say that if you were honest, we could all sit around all night and talk about all the great times that we've had serving God. Man, if we was to sit down and start talking about VBS, at the end of that week, everyone is tired, okay? At the end of that week, everyone is stressed. At the end of that week, about 50% of us are completely done with kids, and 50% of us are too tired to care, okay? And that's where we're at. But if we was to sit down and talk, there's never a bad hour at the end of VBS. Everyone's excited. Everyone's happy. Everyone's pleasant. You go on a missions trip, and man, the most tired I've ever been in my life, even above and beyond working in Oignee Springs, the most tired I've ever been in my life is coming home from a missions trip. I don't know why it is. I think jet lag always waits until the ride home to hit me from the first flight, and then it just starts early on the second flight. I'll get in that airplane seat on the way home from a missions trip, and I will sit down, and it is all I can do to stay awake until the pilot says, please fasten your seatbelts, you know, put your trays up and seat in the upright position. I'm like out by then. Um, and I get land, get off, carry my bags, and if I have to, somebody else's bags, put them in the church van, sit down, I'm asleep again, okay? I hope that Dad never wants me to drive back from a mission trip. It's not going to work. I'll be like, we're taking a motel or we're sleeping in the van because somebody else is going to have to drive. I'm tired. But I tell you what, some of the best fellowship and the most happy people I've ever seen is when they're coming back from a mission trip. I mean, there may be some grumpy people that don't handle sleep, depraved, uh, being depraved to sleep very good, but for the most part, people are happy. And the stories that follow and the memories that follow Oh, incredible. In fact, I would say that no one listening tonight would argue that serving the Lord does not bring happiness because it's really not a good argument. And anyone who has served the Lord would just shoot that down immediately. But so often, knowing that there's happiness in the service of God, we pass up 
opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to serve God. And we go on in our lives like, I don't understand why I'm not happy. I just, there's nothing that brings fulfillment to me anymore. There's nothing that brings happiness, happiness to me anymore. And it's right there in the service of God. And you say, well, I'll be honest, Pastor John's not asked me to do anything in a long time. You can serve the Lord, not only, first off, if that was you, raise your hand, he'll grab you right after the service. Um, but you can serve the Lord outside the realm of your pastor. You see, we owe the local church. And I've got to ask you, when's the last time that you thought to yourself outside of this church, I want to go to some of my neighbors, or I have this co-worker who I would like to share the gospel with, or I know so-and-so is really struggling right now, and I want to do something to be a blessing to them. When's the last time that you took initiative to serve God? Let me tell you what. Next time you're having a bad day and you're not happy and completely depraved of happiness, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think of someone else who you would figure is having a bad day as well and in some way serve the Lord to them. Do something for the promotion of God when you're having a bad day. And if you don't feel better afterwards, go ahead and call me and I'll make a public statement saying that that was an incorrect message. But there's gladness in the service of God. So often we become self-focused and we forget to promote God and we miss out on happiness. So tonight I want to say to you, what makes you happy? At the beginning of the sermon, I, I asked you to think of one thing that made you happy. And for some of you, I guarantee you it was on this list. And for some of you, it was probably something ridiculous like coffee. But no matter what situation you're in tonight, there's six reasons you can be happy right there. And I hope as Christians, we don't forget that the fact that we have a relationship with God is reason enough to be happy no matter what's going on. And I get it. I'm not saying that emotions don't come and that sadness doesn't come, but we have eternal happiness. Let's not forget all that God has done to provide happiness for us. I hope this message was an encouragement to you tonight. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll close. God, I want to thank you for the message. And if for no one else, God, it was good for me to review six reasons, God, that I can be happy. Six things that, that you've given to me, God, that can bring me happiness. And for many of us, God, whether tonight we're not happy or, God, whether it was in the past, I can promise one thing, it, it will come again in the future. And, God, when we find ourselves void of happiness, may we remember all the things that you've done for us, God, not limited to just these six, but including these six things that you've done that can bring us happiness. And may as Christians, God, we stand out to the world, even in the bad times, because of the happiness and the joy that is in our lives as a result of what you've done for us. Be with us all as we go home, God, to keep us safe and allow our lives to bring honor and glory to you. We love you, God. Help us to love you more. And in Jesus' name, amen. Y'all dismissed.